yesterday and the day before, I'm sounding much better than I was. And <laughs> you're like, oh man, we were hope we were praying laryngitis would sink in, right? No, uh, Martin was. Ephesians chapter one. And the first verse is all that we're going to look at this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And uh, Brother Jim has read our text, and we've prayed, so we'll go ahead and move along here into the chapter. This letter to the Ephesian church, it was written from Rome And one of the most interesting things about the Ephesian letter here is that this book is missing personal names. Now, if you remember from Romans, we we finished up in Romans chapter 16, and there is a list of all of those names that Paul said, greet this person and greet that one and receive uh, receive this one and receive that one. But Ephesians doesn't have any of that. There are no personal in his other letters and that he writes. He, he greets others and he, and he uh, talks about other people. But it's not anywhere in the book of Ephesians at all. And there's a reason behind this, many believe. And one of the reasons uh, that I think is very plausible is that the book of Ephesians was what's called a cyclical letter. It was meant to be sent out to churches beside just the church at Ephesus. Okay, if you if you go to Colossians four, look at Colossians, just a couple books over to the to the right, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Look at chapter four, and and look at verse sixteen, and he says, "And when this epistle is read among you, that the epistle that Paul this letter Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans." Okay, watch this now. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Do we have an epistle that was written to Laodicea? We do. It's Ephesians. You see, in, in some late man, some early, early manuscripts, when it says the church at Ephesus, you know, that's left, the word Ephesus is left blank in some manuscripts. What they believe is that Tychius would have taken this letter. Of course, this was initially written to, to the church at Ephesus, but it was also left blank because so it could be taken to all of the churches of Colossae and Laodicea and some of the others, and they would just write in the church name to the church at Laodicea, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Thyatira, to the church at Smyrna, and on and on and on. And so we see here in this letter um, that it was a cyclical letter. It was a church letter, but it was to uh, more than just dealing with just the things going on at Ephesus, like the church uh, to the letters, uh, I'm sorry, like the letters to the churches at Corinth were very specific to Corinth. Though, of course, they're, they are given by the inspiration of God and they have application to us today. But we see here at the church at Ephesians is missing all of these personal names. And it was most likely that it was dispersed to all of these other churches as well. It's one of the greatest doctrinal books we're going to have for the church. You know, the Bible says that, that the things in the church ought to be done decently and in order. There's a way that we ought to do things. You know, why we, why we do what we do should be foundationed in the Word of God. 
People say, well, I don't think it's that strict. I mean, you may look at it that way, but I think we can do it this way or that way. Then why would God write what he wrote? You know, if it's just all willy-nilly and just make it up as you want to do it, why write anything? Why not just say, okay, go, go here's, here's a church and just go do what you want. No, he even says to be done decently in an order. He says that God is not the, the author of confusion. You know, God is a God of order and we love that. And he tells us in the church how things ought to be done and how the church ought to operate. And we have given to the church the doctrines, which just means teachings, the doctrines uh, of, of, the Lord, of, of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, given to the church. It was not written to a universal church. Don't, don't take that away. That as a cyclical letter is just this church, this letter to the universal church, because there's no such thing as a universal church. That is purely Catholic. That came from Catholicism through the Protestant Reformation, of which we were never a part of. He said, well, yeah, that was like 500 years ago. I'm not that old. No, the... <laughs> The Baptist people, the churches that have always been, had the same identifying marks as the church that Jesus started, and were called by different names, or today, uh, we, uh, their name, they have been given the name by their enemies, I might add, as Baptists. They said, oh, you baptizers, you rebaptizers." You know, we were never part of the Reformation. They were, we were in existence before the Reformation and during it and after the Reformation. And it was out of that Catholicism and out of that Reformation came this idea of a universal church. That's what the Catholic means, universal. Universal church. Here's a problem with that. The church is a body. It's visible. It is all, there is never one instance in the New Testament where the word body means anything else but what it is, a body. It, it, it's never, a body is never invisible, and it's never universal. It's like saying Martin's invisible and universal. Yeah. When that body dies, okay, his soul will exist forever, and so will ours, and it will be invisible and universal, okay? But it, then we'll get another body, but I don't want to go there. But, uh, but no, bodies are always, that's why God chose the word body, Right? The church is what? It's, it's his body, the Bible says. It's visible. It's local. So this was not a letter written to some universal uh, church, per se, uh, that is some collective thing of believers out in the ether. I know you're going to hear that all over the place, especially on radios and things like that, but that is Reformed theology. It is not Bible theology. It was written to visible local churches. He said, send it, send it to the churches, right? Colossians, read this letter to the other churches. Read it in the church at Laodicea. Isn't it interesting that word in, which means there's a congregation, you're going into the congregation to read it, right? So it was written to all of those churches that were indeed the offspring of the church that Jesus started with that first body of 11. It's written to Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. It's for us. We are a local visible body. And if you notice here in Paul's greeting as it opens up, he says here, as he does many times, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's a little bit of a uh, of, of uh, validating his authority in writing. Uh, you know, anybody could have written a letter and put his, maybe put his name on it. I guess that's possible. But he vouched for his authority. Some questioned his authority back in the letters written to Corinth. He had to deal with that quite a bit. They made some, they were having remarks made about Paul and who he was and his authority and things like that. But he is an apostle. The word apostle means a sent one. Is he of the 12 apostles? Okay, I'm going to say no, but he is an apostle. He is a sent one. 
right? I, I think a better word for a missionary today is probably an apostle. Not of the 12 apostles, not with the apostolic gifts, but they are sent ones. Who sends them out? The church sent them out. Who sent uh, Paul and Barnabas out? Well, the Holy Spirit told the church at Antioch, not Paul and Barnabas, remind you. They told the church at, Bar- uh, at Antioch, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, for the, or Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so what? The church sent them out, right? Do you know when I was ordained, do you know who did my ordination? Calvary Baptist Church. I wasn't ordained before I came here, right? I wasn't. My pastor would call me, brother, you need to get ordained. I said, man, I'm busy. I don't have time. He said, he'd say, you got it? Okay, we got to schedule this. Okay. And you all, many of you remember that, right? That, you know, you know who sent us here? Berean Baptist Church. That's, that's where our membership was. That was who sent us out to come down to Nixon, Missouri, to this church. And this church essentially has sent us out ordained, right? The ordination was through this church. So he is a he sent one. He is an apostle. He had authority, not only that, that authority from God, but he had a notice what God's medium, but the, God chooses to send out through the church. 2 Timothy 4, 7. He accomplished what God wanted him to do. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So he is an apostle. He is a sent one who did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was not sent by the governments like Columbus was, as good as that was. But he was not sent by the governments. He was not sent out by some business to secure clients and to grow a business, though there's nothing wrong with that. He was not sent out by a religious organization to expand their coasts and to uh, bring more people in into their organization. He was on the road to Damascus when he was face to face with Jesus Christ, who he was persecuting. Remember that? He, and uh, when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? For it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What was he doing? He was, he was bucking against the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. I believe that absolutely. That word pricks is the, what the shepherd would have used to prod sheep. But Jesus himself just said, you're kicking against my prodding. You know what I believe that prodding started? At the stoning of Stephen, and he was there. He heard Stephen preach uh, a mighty message, and they laid all of Stephen's clothes at the feet of of Paul the of Paul uh, the the Pharisee at the time. And Paul consented unto his death. He gave the thumbs up and the okay when they stoned Stephen. And he left from there. And I don't think the conviction, the same conviction that those those Jews listening to Stephen, that same conviction that they were under, uh, Paul was under as well. And Paul left that place and he went on a rampage. And Jesus stopped him. He says, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Okay, what do you want me to do? Isn't that a great response when God stops you? Yeah, amen. What do you want me to do? He said, get up. Go into Damascus. I've got one there, Ananias. Find him. And he goes, and God had to tell Ananias. And Ananias said, what? Hold on a minute. <laughs> you know who this guy is, right? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like in, in, in the days of World War II era, World War I, and, you know, somebody coming to a preacher and say, hey, Mussolini's going to show up at the church, and I want you to baptize him. Wait a minute. Are you sure? Hitler, Hitler's going to be here in about three hours. You need to baptize him. What? Come on. This is where Paul was, man. He was a bad dude. Yeah. 
And uh, what happened? What did he do? He had received his sight back. He was baptized. He had already believed. Ananias called him brother, brother Paul, brother Saul. He baptized him. And what did he immediately begin to do? He began to preach the gospel. He began to preach Jesus Christ. Why did he preach Jesus? Well, he met him. <laughs> it's easy to preach somebody you've met, right? I think some preachers struggle preaching because they've never met them. You don't think there's unsaved preachers out there? Sure there are. Absolutely. Yeah. He was sent to preach the gospel. Look at this, by the will of God. This was God's will for Paul's life. Remember what he told Ananias at at one point. he, He told him, he said, I have chosen him to suffer many things for my name's sake. Paul's, Paul's vocation in his life, his avocation was a tent maker, but his vocation in life, he was in the will of God as, a, as, a, as an apostle, as a sent one, as a missionary, as a preacher of the gospel, as a church planter. That was God's will for Paul's life. Let me take this time real here, here to remind you of something, though. This is not God's will for everyone's life. God's will is not for everybody to be a preacher because then you'd have nobody to preach to. We'd all be preaching, right? We're just not all preachers. Not everybody's a pastor. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist in the, in the biblical sense of what an evangelist is, a church planter. Not everybody is called to be a missionary, an apostle. Not everybody is called for those roles. I think this is one of the worst things. One of them, of course, this might be kind of sensational, but I think it's pretty bad. I really do. And one of the worst things to say, one of the, the great high calling of God, one of the greatest high callings of God is to be called to preach. No, it's not. The highest calling of God for your life is what God has called you to do. That is the great high call. You know how many people have felt, I mean, this, this type of this, this uh, hierarchy within a church and, and, and uh, yes, can I tell you the call of pastor? Yeah, it's a high one, but you, do you realize the responsibility that I would, you know what I tell somebody who says, I think I'm called to preach? You know what I tell them? I'm telling you what I've told them. Young people, go get a job, make money. Go do something else. Because if God's calling you, you can't do anything else. Right? But listen, this is the, the call of the ministry, as wonderful it is, and as, as blessing it is, brother, there's a lot that goes with it. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of, there's a lot of betrayal. There, there, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, abandonment. There's a lot of things that we deal with. Listen, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd do it all over again. It's the will of God for me. I love it. But listen, it's not for everybody. And it's not, it's not just because somebody can better handle it. God has to do the equipping. We saw that in Sunday school, right? It's not because somebody's a preacher because, oh, they're, they're better at it. No, God has, just, God has equipped them to do that. And he's called them for that, right? Yeah, but not everybody's. Listen, the best thing you can do in life is find the will of God for you and do it. Whether it's a doctor, whether it's at Tracker, whether it's writing programs, whether it's out on the road, whether it's whatever Jim does. I don't know what Jim does. But whatever he does, hey, just find the will of God and do it. Do what he wants you to do. You know what you'll find there? You'll find peace. You'll find joy. You'll, you'll find contentment. You'll find God opening doors for you to accomplish his will where you are. Paul traversed the Roman Empire preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, establishing, establishing churches. Why? Only because it was God's will for his life. I like this. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He said, I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this. 
It was what God chose for him. Yep. Now, number two. We only have six more points. I'm just kidding. I, I throw out big numbers like that so when I let you down easy when it doesn't seem so bad, right? Reverse psychology. Paul's audience. Look at his audience. We're, and we're only going to do verse 1 today, so that, that should help you. Paul, an apostle to Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Now notice that word saints there. This is one of the most misused, misapplied words. It has been so destroyed by religion and by false religion. There's a whole system called Catholicism. I'm not talking about the people who are Catholics. I'm talking about the system of Catholicism, the false religion of Catholicism that prays to saints. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm so thankful I don't have to go through Mary, who was a sinner like me. I don't have to go through uh, Catherine, who is a sinner like me, whoever she was. I don't have to go through any of the saints. I don't have to go through any of the, those that have gone on before that have been, quote, sainted by the Catholic Church. I don't have to go through any of them. I have a personal relationship with, with the mediator, with the, the, the lawyer standing between me and, and the Father with Christ Jesus. I go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ who's given me the authority and the opportunity and the right to do so. You know, when, he, when Jesus died, the Bible says that the veil between the, the Holy of Holies and the, and the temple were, were, was split in twain. From top to bottom, it split, it's signifying we, have, we now have access, free access to God through Jesus Christ. He made a way for us to the Father. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our Father, which art in heaven. We have access, direct access to Him. Well, within Catholicism, they came up with this whole idea of sainthood. And if you lived just right, and if you died in such a way and you lived right, they, the church would confirm on you sainthood. It's like something that you, you, you uh, lived your life trying to achieve sainthood, and it's some special place. It's not what the word means at all. It's nowhere in the word of God. It is absolutely made up out of the figment of their imagination. It is, uh, it's unfortunate because what it does in a church is make people feel that I'm at this level and they're at this level and she's at this level and he's over here, right? It puts everybody on levels of importance within the body of Christ. And that's nowhere in the Word of God. Jews and Greeks, right? We are all one. We're all the same. We are all the same thing at the, at the, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The word saint is the same word in Greek as it is in Hebrew. Not the same word, obviously, but it means the same thing. It, it may, they both refer to the same, uh, the same thing of what a saint is. Let me give you the definition of the word saint. The verb form of the word uh, in Greek is hagioso. And it means this. It means something that God has taken out of common use to be used for himself. Something that God has taken out of common use and is determined to use it for a heavenly purpose. Hold on. We are all saints of God. Wait, we have all been taken out of common use and consecrated for heavenly use. I don't know if you've, you've caught this or anything, but I don't see any levels of importance I don't see that somebody is worth more than somebody else in the body of Christ. 
We are all the same, right? We are all saints of God. So a saint is somebody who's been taken out of common use, consecrated for heavenly use. No, not something you rise to, not at all. It's a purpose you were born into. It's a purpose you were born into when you were born again by the Spirit of God. God consecrated you for His own purpose. Everybody in this room, everybody listening via live stream, everybody that will listen maybe on the internet at a later date, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint of God. We had a friend of ours, remember Eileen, she got saved out of Roman Catholicism. She was from Long Island, New York. She moved to Missouri with her kids and she gotten saved, and boy, like most Catholics who get saved, they have a different zeal about them, and uh, they, they, they're just so neat to be around. And she says, I was at the laundromat one day, kind of witnessing to a lady, and she told me she was Catholic, and she was praying to this saint and that saint, and Eileen goes, well, I'm a saint. You could pray to me if you'd like to. And I guess it made the woman kind of irritated, but she... <laughs> But if you're going to pray to saints, she's right. Go ahead and pray to me, right? Well, we know that's silly. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray to the Father through Jesus. Amen. But uh, she was right. She is just as much a saint and probably more so than those that the, that the Catholic Church has deemed to be saints. Yeah. So many people look at their life as a saint of God and say, I would like to do fill in the blank. I want to be, I want to go, I want to do. But did you know as saints of God, our desire should be to know what the heavenly role God desires us to fulfill in this life. Do you realize you have a heavenly role if you're in business? Isn't it great when a business is run in righteousness? in honesty, and integrity. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That, that, listen, I mean, we could go through some of the, some of the national chains, uh, a couple of them that are run, I believe, in a, in, a, in, a, in a great way of righteousness. And they're known and hated and known, right, uh, for that stand that they take. And, and, and there's, uh, you, you can see that. What is that? Those are saints of God who God has called to business who are running their business in the heavenly role that God desired them to run it in. Absolutely. Maybe you're in ministry. God has a role for you. Maybe as a homemaker. Do you realize as a homemaker? As a homemaker? Uh, no, Mike is not a homemaker. But the, uh, some of you who have been homemakers in the past, right? And you stayed home and you raised children. You know, that's a heavenly role. That's an important thing that God, you know, those that have worked at factories and those that make boats, trailers, trailers and boats and things like that. You know, you have a, you have a heavenly role there. Absolutely you do. Those that are at truck stops or in the big rigs and driving down the road, there's a heavenly role you have behind the steering wheel. Why? Because you're a saint of God. God has chosen you out for a specific purpose. You're in the office typing code every day. Zero and one and one and zero and zero, right? One, one, no. See, I don't know. I don't do that stuff. But it may sound weird that you're typing out code, that that code has a heavenly role. It does. It does. It has a heavenly... You farm. 
You go out and cut hay and you pick rock all day and you, you tend to cows and they're stupid as all get out and you're always trying to get them out of something to keep them alive so you can eat them, right, or sell them, things like that. You know, that's a heavenly role. It may not seem like it, but if you're a saint of God, God has picked you out no matter where you're at and what your, what your role is in life. He's given you a calling in life and within that calling, there's a heavenly role. Absolutely. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. So many sit in the pews and say, well, I'm just here. No, God's picked you out too. <laughs> and you have a role to play. I want you to notice something else. We've got to move along or else I'll run out of time. Notice, secondly, here he's writing to the saints, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Do you notice that word there, saints, is plural? Nowhere in the New Testament is the word saints ever used in singular sense. S-A-I-N-T, saint. One time I'll give you, but it's still plural. Uh, Philippians 4.21, greet every saint. It's the only time you'll see the word saint, singular tense. It's always plural. Even that, greet every saint, that's still plural. You're going to greet all of the saints. Where are they? Well, obviously they're in the church. God ne- Listen, God never intended saints to be hermits and loners. Why? They're always mentioned in a plurality. Can I tell you this? Saints is always, saints are, the word saint is always plural because if one is active in a church where God wants them, there will always be other saints. Now, there not, may not be as many of a plurality in this church as in other churches, but there's still a plurality. Even if there's three or four, there's still a plurality of saints. And God has never intended us to be outside of a body. Even in Acts 2, 42, the Bible says at the day of Pentecost there, he says, he says, and they that gladly received their word were baptized and the Lord added unto them daily such as should be saved. What was them referring to? The 120 in the upper room at the first of chapter 2. Who were the 120? The church Jesus started. You know what happened when they were baptized? You know, it was God's, the number one intention? They were baptized into that body. And they were a member of that body. There's, listen, God has never intended for a saint of God to be outside of the membership of a body, of a, a visible local, and I shouldn't even say visible and local body because the body is always visible and local. Right? We have to do that to clarify sometimes, bad doctrine. But God has never intended. Could you imagine if your kidney decided, "Eh, tired of this body. I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to work today." What happens? You go to the hospital. Your heart says, "I'm done." <laughs> what happened? They bring out paddles and they're like, "No, you're not." <laughs> you know, right? No. If any other part of your body says, "I'm out," right? It it poses a problem for the rest of your body. Amen. That's why we listen. We ought to be involved. Just as, listen, are you happy when your liver and kidneys are involved in your bodily functions? Aren't you? I mean, you feel better. You're happy. Your, your morale's up a little bit better, right? You know, you're feeling a little bit better when everything's working. Do you know the body, the, the church that you are a member of, it operates better when everybody's a part of it and active in it? I, I love, hey, listen, only God could draw analogies that he knows best between the body and, and what he calls his church a body. Yeah. Listen, over in, in, Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we know what the Bible says. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, uh, you know, uh, uh, as like manner of some is, 
but so much more uh, as you see the day approaching. I totally messed that up. But here's the point I wanted is verse 24 is about verse 25. You know what verse 24 says? Edify one another. Do you know how you edify one another? What does edify mean? To lift up, to raise up, to, uh, to, to help and to lift up. You know how you edify one another in the body? By assembling. Do you know, do you know what helps us? when You know what it is. You're here and everybody comes in and everybody's in their place. It, does, it helps you out, doesn't it? It's an encouragement. Absolutely. An encouragement. Yeah. I'm not talking about when you're providentially hindered. I'm not talking about when you're sick. I'm not talking about when you have a job that you, you'd really rather have a different, you'd rather have a different schedule, but, but uh, your heart would be to be here and not there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, listen, I'm, I'm, t- I'm, I'm talking about when you just, just choose not to. Right? We don't let our body do it. Yeah. Your intestine says, I'm not working. You're like, oh, yes, you are. And you start popping pills down there. And you're going you're gonna to shape up because I don't like this. Right? First yeah. John 1, 3, that we have seen and heard and declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship is here. You see it in verse 1, into the faith. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, to the saints which are at Ephesus. You know what? When there's saints in a plurality, there's fellowship. Fellowship. A commonality. That's what fellowship means. A commonality. It includes an intimacy. There's fellowship there. I like this one. Two fellas in the same ship. <laughs> you know what you find out when two fellas are in the same ship? They're going wherever the boat's going. Yeah. They're going in the same direction. There's commonality. Hopefully the two fellows in the ship are out fishing and there's an intimacy there and they're enjoying their time. Right. Right. Fellowship. There are some so-called saints that would rather fellowship with the world. That's discouraging. There are some saints, they, they say they're saints, but uh, they'd rather fellowship with their favorite TV show on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Oh, it, it's, it's, listen, there's nothing new under the sun, friend. It still goes on. Yeah. There's some that they say they're saints, they really do, but they have more commonality, more they 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 have they have more fellowship, they have more intimacy, they have more uh, co- uh participation, they have more in common with who's on the ball field or on the basketball court than they do with somebody in the church house that they're supposed to be a member of. Listen, hey, I, I know it's hard, but listen, if you are more comfortable with the world than you are a fellow saint of God, maybe you're not a saint. You know what I know? I'd rather be with y'all than out in the world. Amen. I'd rather be here than in the theater any day of my life. I'd rather be here than, I don't know, there's some drag races going on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, absolutely. We went on vacation once to North Dakota to a wedding, and uh, it just so happened we couldn't, just didn't work out on a Sunday night. For we we're in church Sunday morning, Sunday night just fell apart, and man, it just drove me nuts. I didn't like it. Yeah. wasn't even our church, but it's still saints of God. You just enjoy being around them. Amen. Notice the saints' position in Christ. In Christ. 
It's used 164 times. Paul uses this word in Christ. In one of my Bibles, not this one here, I have it. Oh, maybe I do have it. Yeah, I got it. Some of it circled. Go through the Ephesians and circle all of the times. It says in Christ or in him or in whom. All of this is written to those that are in Christ. In Christ Jesus. It's in Christ. Let me tell you this. This will help you. This, it's in Christ where predestination and election is. If you have a, if you have a, a, a hankering for Calvinism. I'm sorry, but salvation, predestination, and election are all in Christ. It's in here. You'll see it. Not outside of Christ. Yeah. You know what's in Christ? Forgiveness. Assurance is in Christ. Holiness is in Christ. Direction for our life, it's in Christ. Service, it's in Christ. Our forever, it's in Christ. We have eternal life. It's all in Christ. I was trying to explain this, make an illustration for this to to Sherry the other day because she has to hear all of it. No, she really doesn't. I was thinking about this in Christ. I had an illustration. I thought, that's not a really good one, maybe. And she goes, actually, that's a really good one. So I said, oh, good. I'm going to remember that. So I thought, you know, just say I'm sitting here and I'm looking out in our makeshift living room that we're in right now, looking out the back glass door. And I imagine all the grandkids are out in the back and they're out running and playing and being you know, total maniacs like they are, and uh, it's which is good. And uh, of course, Sherry's inside, and it's cold outside, and she has made this big pot of hot chocolate. You know, and and she comes to the door, and she opens the door, and she says, "Hey, I've got hot chocolate. Whoever wants to come in and get some." Shuts the door, and and of course, here comes this herd of you know ten of, let's say eight out of eleven comes just, you know, doors open, and here they come in. And they're enjoying the hot chocolate where? In the house. It wasn't out in the it wasn't out of the house, right? The offer, what the offer was, was in the house. They had to get into the house to get the offer. There may have been a couple that just said, no, I don't want hot chocolate. There might have been one or two that says, I'm just gonna stay out and play. And they never got hot chocolate. Why? Because they didn't come into the house to get it. Watch this. You know where saints are? They're in Christ Jesus. All of the blessings are in Christ Jesus. Eternal life is in Christ Jesus. Amen. You see that? It's in Christ Jesus. It's the same with us. Here we are. We're in the world. Remember when you before Christ, you're in the world. You heard the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God began to draw you. Where was he drawing you? He was drawing you to Jesus Christ. You were a sinner, though. You were, you were at odds with God. You were separate from God because you were born a sinner and you were a chosen sinner and uh, you were away from him. But the eternal life that you needed, the eternal life that you wanted, it was over here in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God was saying, come on in and get the life if you'd like it. Come get life if you want it. It's right here in Jesus. Now, some people look at Jesus and they go, no, I don't want that. I wouldn't mind having all that God offers. I just don't want him. Oh, that's what most of of false religion is. They want everything that God is, but they just don't want him. But it's in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is saying, come. How do you you get into Christ? Well, you got to believe. God says you got to believe that. Uh, that he is and a rewarder than that diligently seek him. You got to believe what he says about you. You got to believe what he says about himself. You got to believe what he says about the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to believe it was the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ was enough and sufficient to take away all of your sins and put you in a right relationship with a God again. And once you believe that, you know what happens? You go to him personally yeah, and you ask him for it. Yeah. 
know what happens the moment you receive Christ by faith? You acknowledge your need. You acknowledge his sufficiency to meet that need. And you, and you ask him to save you. You're immediately put in Christ. Right? What's in there? Life. Eternal life. Can you get out of Christ? I don't know. Jesus said, no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. He says, I, he says, you're in my hand. Then he goes on to say, I'm in my father's hand. Who's going to take you out? It's eternal. You know what's in Jesus Christ? Eternal life. No beginning, no ending. It's, it's forever. It's forever. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what's your purpose today? What's your purpose? It's already established, all those that are in Christ, you're saints. If you're saved today, you're a saint of God. You've been pulled out for a specific and, a, and a, uh, pulled out of a common use and you've been put, set aside for a heavenly use. You've been consecrated for God's will in your life. And you, we each have something that God wants us to accomplish. So what's your purpose? Look at the end of verse 1. Or in the middle of verse 1. To the saints which are what? What's it say there? Next two words. The saints which are at Ephesus. Let's say it again. All together. At Ephesus. What's that? Why is that such a big deal? Because the saints were right where God saved them. You know, some people believe that the will of God is some other geographical location. It's some other place. It's some other job. It's some other life. It's some other this. It's some other that. Can I tell you many times the will of God for our life is right where he saved us? He didn't say, oh, now we got to get you out of Ephesus. This is a bad spot. You know, my will for you is, is oh, back over at Jerusalem, you know. No, it was right here. These believers, watch, they were saints right in the middle of a pagan, materialistic culture. God took them out of common use, right where they were, and he employed them in heavenly use, right where they were. Right where they were. Let me tell you about Ephesus, and I'll be done. It was a city of about two hundred to 250,000 people. Ephesus was second only to Rome in importance and actually in population Ephesus was larger than Corinth it was larger than Alexandria it was larger than Athens hey it was larger than Rome it was a massive city in the eastern provinces of the Roman Empire it was a great port city for trade the harbor that they had though it was man-made it was a great harbor for trade for all of this trade that came in by boat and by sea it was right at a crossroad Ephesus was in western Turkey with the Roman roads and all of the all of the infrastructure that Rome had built, they were at a crossroads for trade across land and sea. It was a massive city. It was a, a very prominent city. Now, if you would go to Ephesus, there would be two things that would have really stuck out to you. Two things that would have risen above everything else over the landscape. The one would have been the theater. A theater was etched into the side of a mountain at the at the I don't know what end of town it was. Is that the other probably would have been the east side of town and. Uh, Etched into the, uh, carved out of the mountainside, sat 25,000 people. It was massive. Coming out of that, that, uh, that theater was a road, um, called Arcadian Way. 
And that road stretch is a big wide paved road that went all the way to the harbor where the ships would come in. And along either side of that, uh, out, of, out of, uh, on that road were, were uh, buildings that stretched the whole way to the, uh, to the, the harbor. There were homes on top and on the main level you would have had all sorts of stores and open markets and trade that way. At the very end of that road, right at the harbor, there was a Roman bathhouse. They had public baths. It was weird. And right at the harbor, when those ships would come in, it was a law that sailors could not come into the city until they went to the bathhouse first and took a bath, right? And, uh, but the other problem is, you know what the other problem was with the bathhouse? was the second floor of the bathhouse. It was where the prostitutes were. No, this was a normal part of Ephesian culture. You know, their God, the second thing that would have risen up out of the, out of the landscape would have been the temple to the go- goddess Artemis. It was a massive structure, 425 feet long, for, uh, 220 feet wide. It was surrounded by marble pillars that were 62 feet tall, and they were spaced at four feet apart all the way around the entire perimeter of this temple, and then the roof set on top of that. All stone, all marble. It was considered the seventh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That was a central point the theater, and the pagan temple. I don't know if you're making connections or not where we live, but anyway, yeah. The goddess Artemis. She was the goddess of the hunt. She was the goddess of the wild animals. She was the goddess of women. And if you looked at the statues made of her, what, what, what the characteristics that they emphasized, she was the goddess of fertility. And so you had the temple prostitutes, you had the prostitution everywhere. This is really, I know you're going to be thinking of Ephesians and you're going, wait a minute, I thought it was the temple Diana. It was the same, listen, Diana is the same God as Artemis. It was just the Roman word that they used. They had the same God. The Romans called it, called her Diana. The Ephesians called her Artemis. Hey, this is the culture that Paul started this little church by the will of God. This is the culture that those that came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, God's purpose for them was for them to be saints. And he pulled them out of the common use in that Ephesian culture. And he gave them a heavenly use. Watch, right in the middle of the pagan culture that they lived in. No, he didn't didn't bring them to some, some new Jerusalem. He didn't bring them to some utopia, right? He left him right in the middle of the muck and the mire of society. Why? So he could do his will through them to affect a culture. Do you know what happened there at that Ephesian church? The Bible says from there the gospel went out into all of Asia, which would have been considered Asia Minor, which would, which where this is right now is Western Turkey. I'm pretty convinced that the churches, the, the six other churches of Revelation, besides Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, um, uh, Laodicea, uh, all of those other ones uh, were started by the church at Ephesus. You can see their proximity. You see what God. You see what God's capable of doing. You don't think you have a purpose in life. If you're a saint of God, 
in the will of God. Listen, God can do anything He wants with you right where you are. You can change your neighborhood. You can change your family. You can change your job. Well, you can change your job. You can change what happens at the job, right? You say, I don't have that ability. No, you don't. But a saint of God does. That's submitted to the will of God. That's allowing God to do what He wants to do. Absolutely. Why did this happen? Because God was, Paul was in God's will right where He wanted him. This was the longest place Paul ever stayed. Three years. Did a great work here. And a mighty work here. It's an encouragement today. Listen, it's a joy today to know you don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have some high and lofty title. You're a saint of God. If you are in Christ this morning, you're a saint of God. Get attached to His church like He wants you to do. Be faithful there, right? And God will do great things in your life. So what is God's will for your life? Well, I'll give you three things. Number one, to glorify Him. What does glorify mean? It means to put on display His attributes. Put on display the attributes of God. Yeah. So glorify Him. Secondly, assemble and fellowship. That's the will of God. Yeah. To assemble if you're able, assemble in fellowship. Thirdly, seek the lost and bring them to Jesus. Go into the highways and the hedges, compel them to come in. And you can do all of that right where God has you. Yeah. I dare say some of the greatest works that God has done has not been from those called apart into ministry, but has been done of those that are sitting in the pews Saints of God yielded to Him, allowing Him to work. Are you in Christ this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you sure you are? You remember the day, you remember the day you personally went before God, between you and Him alone, and you acknowledged that you were lost, you acknowledged that you were without Christ, you knew whatever the words were, you knew in your heart that you were not right with God and you were separate from God and you needed what God was offering the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever the words were, you asked Him for that knowing that that's exactly what you need. Do you remember that? Yeah. You're in Christ. What's your fellowship like with the saints? Yeah. What's your fellowship like? As you live in your Ephesus in America, these towns, Nixa, is becoming more and more of an Ephesus than ever before. As you live in your Ephesus, are you sure you're in the will of God? Busy about being the saint that He has called you out to be. Something to think about today. May God help us to be the saints in our Ephesus that God has called us to be. That we be faithful there in God to do the work. A work like He did in Ephesus. They never even had the gospel before. This is new. And what a, what, a, what a transformation happened in these people's lives in all of the area around them. May God help us to do that again today. Jesus, Father, 
We thank you. Lord, we thank you this morning that we are saints unto you. We put our faith and trust in you, and we are saints. Lord, you have a will for our life, whether it be a pastor or whether it be a a truck driver or whether it be a a computer programmer or somebody who drives. Lord, whatever it is, you have a plan and a purpose for our life as saints unto you, and you've called us out and given us a heavenly purpose. Father, would you help us to yield to you and allow you to do through us what you intend to do right where we are. We thank you for the encouragement today. Would you help us in this? In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand this morning, would you please? The instrument's going to play, and we have time of invitation. However the Lord has spoken to you, what's your fellowship like with the saints? Have you been a hermit? Have you been forsaking the assembling? Are you, hey, how active are you, are right where God has planted you? I remember a church we were a part of, and the pastor's wife had a heart attack and was to the point of they didn't expect her to live. And they spent many days, many days in the hospital. He didn't spend, I mean, it was weeks that he went not in the pulpit of his own church. And I remember his testimony. He said, boy, I tell you what, in the waiting room, we've had more opportunity to witness for Christ in the, oppor- in the waiting room, waiting, waiting to hear and waiting just to see what would happen uh, to, the, to his wife. What was he doing? He was a saint of God, right where God put him. Operating and doing what God called him to do, right where the door was open. If you're not a member of a body somewhere, you need to be. You need to get that situated and you need to get that taken care of. We need to be members of one of his bodies. Well, saints, have a great afternoon. <laughs> you like hearing that, don't you? Boy, that sounds good. It sounds good on you, doesn't it? Amen. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer.